This is the Redis Stars podcast, where we talk with community members about what's new and what they're doing with Redis. Dave Nielsen, Head of Community and Ecosystem Programs at Redis Labs. This week, we have our very own Loris Crow, Developer Advocate at Redis Labs, visiting us from Milan, Italy. Welcome, Loris. Uh, thank you for joining us here in our new Mountain View studio. Hi, Dave. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet. And what actually brings you out here to Silicon Valley? Well, I have occasionally to come to the headquarter for meetings. I do most of my work remotely, but yeah, occasionally you, you do need to see the faces of your colleagues and bosses. And I also uh, took the opportunity to give a talk at a local user group. Yeah, that's great. We'll talk about that later. And, uh, you know, there's always work stuff to talk about, but really I thought we could take this opportunity to talk about what you're doing outside of work these days. What are, what are you up to? So uh, this might sound maybe still a bit connected to job to the job, but well, what you can what can you do? Um, I've been working on my own personal blog. I've never been uh, a good writer in the past, and this job has taught me a lot about writing and how to be like concise and precise with your words. Um, so I've been writing on my personal blog to try out different writing styles and find my own voice in a way. Uh, I wrote a, recently a blog post about uh, stand-up meetings and how you should have them. Uh, before that, I also um, wrote another blog post, uh, where the, which the title is Why Go and Not Rust? And it's a bit of a comparison between the two languages, but not completely. It's just uh, a I expand more on one use case where Go, in my opinion, is better than Rust, even though Rust has a lot of advantages. And it's about my previous working experience in enterprise software development, mostly. Well, interesting. Okay, so by the way, do you have a lot of stand-up meetings at your home in uh, Milan? <laughs> <laughs> All by myself? <laughs> uh, I actually do, you know. I have a stand-up meeting very often at the bar where I order an espresso and drink it from the counter. That's that's the Italian stand-up meeting, let's say. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, now, I think that got picked up recently, but the Go versus Rust one really struck a nerve, it seemed like. A lot of people commented and, and uh, read that blog post. Uh, why, do you, why do you think that was? Well, I did go for a bit of a clickbaity title, and language wars are always something that people care about. But in reality, I never wanted the, the blog post to be a decisive, like, complete overview fight with uh, one language versus the other. And actually, the opening of the article is about a very short story about this developer that feels, uh, who is a Go developer and feels insecure because he used to be the cool guy on the blog uh, with Go being better in so many ways than Java and C Sharp. Uh, but now that Rust has come out, now... Uh, Rust is the new cool guy on the block, and uh, this programmer feels insecure about it. And the 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 main, I think, the main takeaway from the story is that you shouldn't tie your identity to any specific language, and that uh, you should be pragmatic about the stuff and you should use uh, the tools that you use but you should also always keep an eye out for because occasionally some improvement will really come out and you need to be accepting of that and that in the end we have this tendency in technology and IT to 
think of our tools as an extension of ourselves, a bit too much. And this becomes twisted sometimes. And like the conclusion of the blog post is that uh, you should not think of yourself as a gopher or a Pythonista or a, or a Stashian or whatever, because they ultimately are just marketing tools to induce uh, stronger branding. Now, you did have some suggestions about when to use one versus the other. Can you maybe share something along those lines? Yeah, the idea of the blog post was that, uh, yes, Rust has a ton of amazing features, and I think nobody can deny that. But what I wanted to highlight in the blog post was one case uh, where I think Go does a better job than Rust, and that is in... um, enterprise software development. I've been doing that in, before joining Redis Labs, and I saw uh, how these things play out, at least that's my experience. So it might not be complete, but I think I have a good enough amount. Given my experience, I think that the way Go approaches computer science and engineering is, is something that works way better than Rust in those somewhat chaotic environments. So that was basically the main point of my blog post. Okay, and, and what's your blog post again? What's the URL? I think you should just go to Christoph.it and go from there. Or actually, you know, what's even better? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Crolloris, C-R-O-L-O-R-I-S. And yeah, and go from there. Yeah, there's a link there. Great. Now, you have written in Rust before. Is that what you wrote that module in? So the original version of the module that I wrote was in C. And I wrote that while working on enterprise software development. So the experience that they talk about in my blog post, that's when I wrote the, the Redis module in question. It's a module called Redis Cuckoo Filter. And Cuckoo Filters are a probabilistic data structure. So a type of data structure with a very narrow and precise use case. So like you, can, you can tell from the name, right? Probabilistic sounds kind of weird and complicated. They are not that complicated, but they are more nuanced than normal data structures. And I needed that because I wor- it was working for a uh, finance tech startup. And we had a use case that really needed real-time performance. It was about uh, processing credit card transactions in real time. And that's where the data structure really came in handy. So yeah, and after that, somebody from Redis Labs noticed and asked me to come and speak at RedisConf. Yeah, and that's, that's where we got to know you. And uh, you gave your talk, and it was well-received. And soon after that, you had a job offer. <laughs> yeah. It turns out that module was a very good investment of my time. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that worked out. So yeah, Redis modules have been growing in popularity, and the Cuckoo Filter's up there. So it's up on the page. You can go to the Redis modules hub at Redis Labs, and it's one of those up there. Yeah, it's one of uh, from the community. So to, just to make sure uh, people understand, there is a similar module by Redis uh, Labs itself. Mine is a bit more, um, well, I, first of all, I don't offer support. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can open an issue on GitHub if you want, and I'll see what I can do. But it's mainly meant for people that know what they're doing, for people that are really interested in these geeky subjects. So you're supposed to know how Cuckoo Filters work internally to use my module. Got it. Got it. So you like writing a lot about development. In fact, you, you recently actually gave a talk. That was a talk we alluded to earlier here at the Silicon Valley Redis meetup. And uh, you talked about, not modules, but talked about creating a client library in Python. So how did your talk go? 
oh, well, for me, it was amazing. For the crowd, I hope so, but <laughs> <laughs> I guess you would have to ask them. But no, I think the, I think also the reception uh, from the audience wa was good. I, I felt uh, I was able to convey how interesting and actually fun it is to, to write a a client uh, for Redis in Python. And I've seen a few people when approaching a new language start by trying to write a Redis client for that language. And it, it's a good exercise because you have, it's not too complicated, but at the same time, it's not too trivial and you're actually building something that then it's a little bit useful, even though at the end of the day, you don't plan to write a full-fledged Redis client. It, it hits a sweet spot in terms of complexity and, and fun. Well, I, I definitely saw people having fun in your talk. Uh, the gal right next to me was coding along with you, and every time she would get to the end of a, a procedure and hit enter and it would work, and I could see her just go, yes! Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> she was pretty excited about that. And I also noticed that um, very few people got up and left. I mean, it was like a large number of people there, and I think maybe only two, everyone but like one or two people stayed. So that was pretty high percentage. So um, definitely was well received. Yeah, thank you. I think what's interesting for the crowd compared to maybe more traditional presentations where you just like run through your slides is that uh, there's the demo effect, right? You see this thing work in real life and you're sorry, being done in real time and, and it might break. And actually it did break on a couple of times uh, while doing it. So there, there's always this uncertainty and it makes, makes everything more interesting. And I mean, it's not like, I, I don't think people uh, wanted me to mess up, but it, it's interesting to see uh, the problem solving happen in real time you, you, because you, you can see the, the cogs turning the presenter's head, right, while, uh, while doing the live coding. Yeah, yeah. And for a meetup to have all those people stay quiet and watching was, was pretty impressive. Yeah, and how many were there? I mean, there were over 80 people were there. So, yeah. And then, of course, the, we were streaming it live online, too, which is uh, that recording is doing incredibly well. Oh, yeah. Did you check this morning to see how many people have viewed it? I might. I might have watched uh, like one or 10 times. Um, I think it's at 1.2K views on YouTube right now. Yeah, and that's just from a meetup talk in a couple of days. That's pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you want to watch that, folks, you can go online to the Redis Labs channel and look for creating your own client from scratch in Python. Yeah, almost. Like, I think it's writing a Redis client in Python from scratch. That's right, from scratch. Yeah, that's excellent. By the way, speaking of real time, I noticed that Salvatore has been coding on Twitch recently. Have you been following along with what he's been doing? Oh yeah, I've, I've been. Uh, I haven't been able to watch the the last couple of streams because of now being in California, I'm in the wrong time zone for that. Uh, but I followed the the first few, so I I saw all. So he started by. Um, showing on stream how he's implementing a new functionality for ACLs, access control lists. In Redis 6, yeah. Yeah, for Redis 6. And he's showing basically that he's programming the functionality in ACLs that logs every time a command fails because of a missing permission. So every time Redis tells you, no, your user doesn't have access to that command, to that key, a log line gets created. And that allows you to diagnose why something is not happening, right, at the very least. Uh, so he's been working on it, and it's, it's a, an interesting project because it's self-contained. You, no, you don't need to know everything about Redis. Once you know what ACLs are and you understand 
small parts of small subsystems and how they work, you, you can easily follow along with what uh, he's working on and he's sharing his thoughts about why he chooses to do things in one way versus another as he goes. So that was really nice. I think he's done with that and now he moved into another feature that's coming with Redis 6. So he's working on some changes in client-side caching, but I haven't watched them yet, so I don't know the details. So why do you think he's doing this online in real time like this? Oh, well, I think it's fun. Probably, I think, well, I don't think he would be doing this if it weren't fun for him at all. So uh, I guess that's one motivator. Uh, Another one is that when you are working on an open source project, you make decisions, you have your own opinions, right? And like, uh, you can say that Redis is definitely uh, opinionated. Salvatore is opinionated, and by extension, (laughs) Redis is. (laughs) And people uh, sometimes question your decisions, and sometimes they want to know, like they're not questioning, but they want to know why you decided to do something. Maybe they are missing some context and one of your decisions uh, sounds weird. And so in the end, he's live coding on Twitch, is a paper trail, bit trail, mm-hmm. <laughs> video trail of what he was thinking while he was developing that feature for future reference. No, oh, that's interesting. And of course, that's why he's doing it. Now, there's people watching live and then also watching the recordings. They're not creating Redis. So why do you think they're watching them? Mm. Oh, wow. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's a tough question. So I think these is a question about maybe Twitch more in general, like why people do watch Twitch, because I've been watching Twitch for a long time. And to me, that's natural. But there's a lot of people that uh, don't understand why why younger generations watch Twitch. And Salvatore is doing live programming, but there's also a lot of uh, things on Twitch, like creative people that are drawing or playing music. And there's also, of course, uh, the video games, which are the, the main part of Twitch. And so I think that the answer to the question why people are watching Salvatore is the program Redis. It's similar to the reason why people are watching other people play video games. To some degree, both playing video games and programming are creative activities. The way somebody approaches a game is unique to that person, especially if they are somebody skilled that knows how to play the game. So you can see a lot of like Minecraft players that uh, do interesting things with Minecraft, right? They, they make construction with blocks and, uh, and they have, they express themselves to the creations that they make in, in Minecraft. So going back to programming and Salvatore, I think people want to watch him because they want to see his own take on what programming is. And uh, maybe there is also a little bit of like interest in uh, celebrities there. So people want to see how a successful systems programmer uh, thinks and uh, which editor he uses and how he uses his uh, macros and bindings on the keyboard. He, is he typing fast enough? How fast is he, is he uh, thinking? But there's also the, the uniqueness, regardless of the famous person effect uh, of the celebrity effect, there's also the human component of seeing somebody do interestingly surprising things with something that you also have been doing all along, but maybe you've never done something, you never thought about the the thing in that way. And that's, uh, I think, one of the main reasons why people watch other people do stuff on Twitch. So for those listening, if you want to follow Salvatore, you can go to his Twitter account, which his handle is Antares, A-N-T-I-R-E-Z. And he usually lets people know, hey, I'm getting ready to go live and you can follow him there. So 
there's of course a lot of other people speaking. We've had some great talks at our Reddit days. What do you think makes an interesting talk? Well, I'm thinking of one particular talk that I liked very much, and I also tweeted about it uh, a few months ago. I think to date is my favorite talk ever about Redis. And it's from Mauro Calderara from uh, Citadel, and he does quantitative trading. And he basically has a, like quantitative trading is a complicated thing. Like it's a very complex domain. They have very peculiar requirements and uh, the math is complicated. I think almost everything is complicated about it. But in his talk, you don't see that. Uh, in his presentation, he's basically was uh, saying how at Citadel, they use Redis and they have a very creative ways of using Redis. And what I really like about that talk is that he lets the complexity fade out and some details of his particular use case fade out. He just talks about the core ideas behind what he's doing. And it's kind of inspirational because he explains how they're employing Redis to do, like they are uh, spawning up uh, a Redis instance for each instance or their own services. And they use it for local caching, to coordinate different instances and and to uh, augment some uh, machine learning pipelines. And uh, it sounds very doable. Like you almost feel like you do it yourself, even though like probably in reality, uh, it would take a long time to get to something like production ready uh, at that level of complexity. But he's able to uh, just focus on the core interesting ideas without getting bogged down into uh, the details that don't help express the abstract ideas that he, he uh, that are at the basis of how he approaches computer science. So, and this I think also kind of ties back to what I was trying to say earlier about Twitch and why people want to see people do live programming. So, even though he's not doing live programming, I think he's doing a good job at showing people how you can achieve really interesting stuff and making it feel real. Um, the second part why I like that talk, so uh, the, the second part that I would like to see that in my opinion makes a talk interesting is that he's using Redis really to its full potential. Uh, he's not using Redis as a, how can I say, as a Swiss army knife, but he's using it more like a toolkit for distributed systems. And the, and the nuance here is that is Swiss army knife doesn't like can do a lot of things, but it doesn't, it's not really particularly good at any specific one, while from a toolkit, you expect the toolkit to be flexible, but to be good at all the individual things. And I think you can see that in his presentation. It's really, I, I'm going to say it again, it's my favorite presentation to date. Yeah, that was at uh, Redis Day in New York. So if you search for Maro Calderara of Citadel on YouTube for Redis Day in New York, you should be able to find it. Now... We should start wrapping this up, but I did have one last question for you. There was a tweet that I noticed on a related subject from a guy whose handle is P. Lambert on Twitter. And he wrote, with Redis 6 supporting TLS and the streams support in 5, it's pretty difficult for me to recommend anything else to dev teams for all the annoying parts of distributed systems. Distributed locking, reliable event bus, and all the other fitty bits just packaged up and delivered. So obviously he's talking about Redis there. 
And I felt like this quote to me highlighted the difference between users who are using Redis just as a cache and then those who are using it in a more sophisticated way, like a distributed, building some sort of distributed system. You know, what do you think of that quote? Oh, I, I like it a lot. Uh, yeah, I think it kind of goes in the same direction that I was describing earlier. Yes, it's about using Redis to do different things. And I, I think he's appreciating all, all the, the, the things that you have to do every single time when you're working with distributed systems. But it's not just like a Swiss Army knife, right? It's, it's, it's not just a cache for sure, but it's not even just a jack of all trades, but master of none, right? Uh, this kind of thing. And if you think about it, it's, it's the same also with modules. Like Redis is a toolkit also uh, from the point of view of the modules. When I wrote my Cuckoo Filter module, I focused on the uh, computer science behind how Cuckoo Filters work. But I, at the time, I, I didn't had all the expertise to set up my own clustering system, my own replication system, my own, my own uh, serialization persistence system. And the reason why I wanted to build that on Redis was because I wanted to get that. I wanted to reuse what Redis was already already had. And that that's another way of thinking of Redis as a, as a toolkit. Like uh, as a module creator for me, I, I just focused on my own stuff and Redis provided all the... the "Quote unquote the distributed systems boilerplate." Let's say. Well, it's great. I I'm uh, always impressed with the developers who come up with innovative distributed systems using Redis. Whether it's some of these new folks who are building serverless platforms and they're using Redis to store all the metadata, or somebody's using uh, Redis as the sort of the central nervous system of their microservices-based architecture. You know, it always seems to be there in all of those types of projects. By the way, so we got to wrap this up. It's been fun talking with you, but the next time for sure I'll be seeing you will be at RedisConf in May, May 12th to 14th of 2020, uh, where I'm sure you will find something interesting to speak about. And for those of you who are still on the podcast, if you have some amazing idea that you've been working on and you want to share, please go to RedisConf.com. And it will redirect you and you can submit your talk to RedisConf or at least uh, come join us. So with that, I'd like to thank you for joining us, Loris. And for more talks from Loris and other Redis community members, go to redislabs.com slash tech talks. And for more podcasts, blogs, and videos, you can go to redislabs.com slash community. I'm Dave Nielsen, Head of Community and Ecosystem Programs at Redis Labs, and this is the Redis Stars podcast, where we talk with community members about what they are doing with Redis. Redis.